The Glory Center would like to welcome you to this podcast. We hope that this teaching will encourage and minister to you. And now, the message. All right, a little uh, quick review here, um, and then getting in today. Started teaching last week on what I'm calling victory, our inheritance. Um, I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 14, kind of a foundation. Corinthians 2, 14. Paul says, but thanks be to God who always, in different translations, you know, a little slightly different, but NASB here says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Some translations say, thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. Uh, One translation says, thanks be unto God who always leads us to victory in Christ. Now, notice that. And and 2 Corinthians is, Paul is, kind of lays a lot of it out there, his uh, behind the scenes, resume type stuff. Uh, So it's, Part of the basis for 2 Corinthians is false apostles had moved in to try to pervert the gospel and put these people under law. And Paul even tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, and that's where we get, you know, some of these verses about the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, right? Um pulling down of strongholds and bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So his obedience is our victory, right? So when Satan comes up and says, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, you say, hey, never claim to. His obedience is my victory. I pull thought, thought patterns, false belief systems. I pull them captive. Right? And that's the, inter- that's the thing to keep in mind in 2 Corinthians 10, in those verses. Uh, weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Mighty through God, not through ourselves, to the pulling down of strongholds. People got crazy with some of that stuff. And some of these principalities of the power of the air, some of you in the charismatic movement, movement will remember. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff, like well-known ministries and all sorts, but... Um, there were groups that would take, uh, they'd go and rent airplanes, you know, like small airplane things, and fly up in the sky where they could do warfare because Satan's the prince of the power of the air. So it's more effective if you get higher. High sounds about right. Now, you know, you know and then there's, there's and I, pretty well-known ministries, and, you know, God bless them. And they'd have these, like, worship like during worship or they maybe have worship nights or things like that. And, you know, the, some of the people would stand there or sit there and worship. And each, wor- each person on the worship team would have someone standing behind, right behind them doing warfare. And they'd get quite extravagant to keep the demons off of the worship members so their worship could be more effective or something. Exactly. That's a good question. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, gosh. All the church was coming through. Huh? Yeah. All sorts of, you know, silly stuff like that. And that verse says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You can't get much carnal than that, you know. Um, but mighty through God to the pulling down of stronghold. What is a stronghold? It's a thought system, a belief pattern, a belief system that has a stronghold. Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians. You know when Paul says we are not ignorant of Satan's devices? That word devices is the Greek word for thoughts. We're not ignorant of Satan's thought patterns, his ways of thinking, the, the way that he interjects thoughts in our direction. You're walking, walking along, minding your own business, and for no apparent reason, you know, maybe you're thinking like we did here, you know, you're thinking about your bills this month, and you're walking around the road or driving to work or whatever, and you're kind of thinking, I'm going to believe God, da, da, da. and then some thought, some experience, some feeling comes and reminds you of how unworthy you are, and why would God help you after you? Da, da. See, that's Satan's way of thinking. He's interjecting thought. That's what he did to Adam and Eve. He come to them and introduced a different way of thinking, right? And so we're not ignorant of Satan's thought patterns, thoughts, ways of thinking. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. See, that's battling, if you will, from the, the finished work. As many ministers have said, and it's so true, we don't pray, we don't confess the word, we don't engage in spiritual warfare, any of that, for victory, but what? From victory. From the, we're an occupying military. The victory's already been wrought. So we're not going forth and... That's another thing. You know that verse, Jesus in Matthew, Matthew's gospel? He says, you know, talking to Peter and build, build my church and all that. And he says, and the gates of hell... And that's the Greek word Hades, which is the equivalent of the Hebrew word Sheol or Sheol. just means the abode of the dead. The gates of Hades, the gates of the, uh, of the forces of darkness and the abode of the dead, will not prevail against the ecclesia, the church, the called out, it, it, it's what, the called out ones is what it basically means, or the assembly. So the body of Christ, the church. Um, the gates, think about that. The gates of hell, or Hades, kingdom, it will not prevail. We read that verse sometimes, at least in my experience, and it's presented as if you're the one with your back against the wall. All hope is seemingly lost. You're the devil's punching bag. And somehow, I mean, I've had some of those moments, it seems like. Don't get me wrong. But that, just, that's not really what that verse is saying. When all hell's coming against you, it's literally the opposite. The gates of hell won't, gates, the gates like of a kingdom. It encloses a kingdom. In other words, he wasn't saying the church was on the defensive and holding on by a thread, like Rocky getting the mess beat out of him by whoever, you know. And then, No, the church is on the offense, marching forward in victory. And the gates of hell can't stop us from coming through and exercising victory. Amen? Thanks be unto God, 2 Corinthians 2.14, who always causes us to triumph in Christ. And this is the letter, again, where Paul, you know, even says that Satan himself, chapter 11, can appear as an angel of light. Then he goes on through his own resume. 
Paul in his resume basically says, you know, shipwrecked often, chains and beatings often. By the way, that was the uh, in chapter 12 when he says, the foreign in the flesh, the messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. I, some of you have been taught, uh, there's a lot of goofy stuff about those verses, and I don't know how anybody could read those verses. I don't care what your background is. I had a, I've heard many people, I had a friend of mine, uh, but I've heard TV preachers and others say that God sent that spirit to buffet Paul to humble him because in case he was getting too prideful. Because Paul said, lest I be exalted above measure by the revelation I received. I don't know where it says God sent that. It's, it, Paul says, the messenger of Satan, not the messenger of Yahweh. What in the sweet name of religious insanity are you smoking to get that? The messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. And what was that? Well, he just told you. Everywhere Paul went, man, it was revival and riots, you know. Um, and then he, he's, he's telling you there, though, he's, oh, well, was he blind and God let him be? No, it doesn't say that. I don't know, all these goofy stuff. Gosh, heard it all. Messenger of Satan. See, God sent that. A messenger of Satan. The Lord let that humble. The messenger of Satan. Like God and the devil are not, they're not working together. They are not business partners. Give me a flaky breaky, you know? Anyways, so we did uh, mention a few things here last week. Um, if we can get 1 John chapter 3 on here, by quick way of kind of review, but building up right to where uh, we're getting into here. And th this will, 1 John 3 will uh, help us review and jump into what we're looking at today. First John three. May I have a little fun? May I? May I have fun? Max said have a lot of it. Let's let's actually start in chapter. Oh yeah, I I didn't even uh, think. By the way, the first. Okay. Anyways, time change, right? Fall back. Yeah. Best day. Oh my God, I slept good last night for the first time all week. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm usually up till one. Anyways, straight up. What, can I on? What's it called? Is it is it a, a religious book or okay, yeah. Well, I like the print. Oh, it's not even. Oh my gosh, uh, there a good friend of mine, a wonderful former associate of mine back when I was working in the black market pharmaceutical industry, who is now a Christian himself and a minister and a wonderful wonderful man of God, um, and and he, you know, believes in. Um, you know, biblical, fulfilled eschatology and all that. So he was talking with his parents one day, and, you know, it's just kind of one of those deals where you're just, you know, my church, my daddy, went, granddaddy went to that church, daddy went to that church, I go to that church, and that's just the way we preach it, and that's what we believe, and I don't care what you, God, or anybody else says about it, hallelujah. King James says it, I believe it, that settles it. I mean, just all that, so, and, and, their premise to him was, well, the world's getting worse and worse and worse. And we know that's not true. There's less wars. We know there's less storms and things like that than basically we've ever had on record, all that kind of stuff. Um, nonetheless, uh, his dad was telling him one minute how terrible things are. And in the same conversation, something about the grandkids and their iPads and their, and, his, and then he said, 
you kids got it so much better than we did when I was growing up. Well, which is it? You just said it's so much worse than it, you know. I mean, th the literacy rates in the world are exponentially, you know, the fact that uh, all people, uh, not just the, it is, the privileged, um, and not just males, but education, basic education and literacy and things like this are, are um, hosp you know, hospitals and, you know, supercomputers in your pocket. Um, I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, the problem is that in, and it's an American, it's not even the predominant thing in the world. It's, it's baffling to me. Um, People read Matthew 24, they ignore what Jesus said about this generation, and they look at all that stuff and see, man, oh, yeah. They, and then they read the daily news headlines, which most Christians will say, man, the news, it's their narratives, their, there's agendas, there's political parties behind them, almost in certain senses forcing kind of the narrative and what they say. You know you're being fed a bunch of lies anyways. I wouldn't go to the daily news to find out if I'm saved or not. Why would I watch the daily news to find out the times I'm, the prophetic times I'm living in? Makes no sense at all, you know. Um, but we know uh, factually, non-debatably, un unequivocally, uh, the general approach to things in the world are better, uh, for sure. Um, things always ebb and flow. It's and so because you say that, and people, well, what about this? Well, nobody said the world's perfect, but things ebb and flow in an upward trajectory, and that's pretty well. Good. Thank you, Abby. We'll just try, and if it's so bad. Anyways, check this out. First John 2. Last week, we dealt with sin. So, again, we're teaching on victory, our inheritance. You, you receive an inheritance when? Not when you die, but when someone else dies. And Jesus died for us. And Scripture uses this language. Read the book of Hebrews, the will and testament. As a matter of fact, that's, that's the words covenant and testament are used interchangeably. Uh, King James, if you read... Like Matthew 26, the Last Supper, uh, King James will put, this is the New Testament in my blood. And then most other translations that are, you know, newer English uh, will say this is the New Covenant in my blood. And then you read the Hebrew, book of Hebrews, chapter 9, and he deals with uh, will and testament, all of that. So, so we receive an inheritance not because we died or when we die, because that's the thought, you know. You're, you're an old, poor old, pathetic sinner, and when you die, you'll get your inheritance and go to heaven. And I certainly am looking forward to going in heaven and experiencing the fullness of our inheritance effortlessly. Because here, there, you know, there's the good fight of faith. In heaven, I think, I don't know all, the, you know, I'm just, it's more natural. There's no, I, Norval talked about, you know, when he had went to heaven a couple of times. There's no hindrance to believing. It's, it's effortless. It's natural. It's, you know what I mean? So, but verse 12, we looked at last week, Jesus dealt with sin. The sin problem is resolved. All right? Look at verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12. He says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven. Can you dig it? Verse John 2, 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins, past tense, have been forgiven. Now, the beautiful thing is he does not say your sins up until you got born again have been forgiven, but now that you've been saved, 
you have to get forgiven on an individual sin-by-sin basis. doesn't say that. He says, your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. Well, how many? Yeah. Boom. Are forgiven, baby. And that'll never change. You, you won't read that tomorrow after you blew it, and it'll say, well, they were, but now you're on a tight rope. Now, now, it'll always say, have been, are forgiven, right? And, and I love how Andrew Womack, you know, explains when someone says, well, how could future sins be forgiven? And Andrew says, you better hope future sins can be forgiven. Because Jesus died 2,000 years ago in the past when all of your sins were in the future. And, yeah, and Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 9, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The modern evangelical church says, without confessing my most recent sin, telling God I'm sorry, promising to do better, and trying really, really hard to do better, better, there is no forgiveness. But Scripture says without the shedding of blood. That's why under the Old Covenant, there were many confessions of sin because there were many sacrifices. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And that's why a person would bring their animal to the outside, the, 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 the front door, if you will, and one of the priests would come outside and meet you there Put your hand on the animal's head, confess your, your sin that you're there for, and then the priest would slice the animal's throat, shedding of blood, take it inside, cut it open, and do all the stuff that they had all their ways of doing those things, right? You, you confessed when blood was shed. Well, in the new covenant, but the bloodshed was ongoing. Why? Because they were imperfect sacrifices. It was tainted blood. It covered sin, but it didn't deal with sin at its root and get rid of it. The new covenant, there's one required confession of sin because there's one sacrifice. Does that make sense? Just keep, just keep this one. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Not without the shedding of blood and you spending the rest of your life begging God to forgive you for every imperfection and thought, word, and deed, and especially before you get on an airplane or especially before you go to sleep at night. Does not say that. Now, it's amazing. This is so biblical, and a person can sit there and just reflect it, and, and, and it doesn't matter what the Bible says. It's what I've been taught, bless God. Well, I hope that condemnation and guilt and misery works out for you. Now, because you have been forgiven, all right, now let's uh, jump down here. Verse uh, 17. John, 2,000 years ago, says the world is passing away. And that was that, remember in the New Testament, there's the old age, the, mo the Mosaic age, the old covenant age, and the world to come, or the Greek, the age to come, the new covenant age, right? So that world was passing away. And that's what the whole book of Revelation is about. The Mosaic Jewish system passing away. All right? And the book of Revelation is prophetic, apocalyptic, behind-the-scenes look at how the Old Covenant veil was removed so the Lamb of God could be 
apocalypsed or unveiled. What's the word apocalypse mean? Anybody else? Anybody else? You're all right. I just seen how many words you could come, you know, unveil, reveal. Had you nervous, didn't you? But that's the word apocalypse. I hear it every week. I heard somebody two or three days ago on TV about, um, you know, the news. And it wasn't a preacher. It was some whatever. But talking about news and so, you know, it's apocalyptic. Is it going to get, is it going to turn apocalyptic? Literally, is it going to turn unveiled? Is it going to turn revealed? Because apocalypse does not mean mayhem and the end of the world and boats and bombs and does not mean that, does not mean that, can't mean that, no connotation of it meaning that, the end, no way around it. So, I'm all for an apocalypse, an unveiling of Jesus. <sighs> Any area where I am veiled with deception or legalism or untruth and my mind needs to be more renewed, I am always, I want an apocalypse of Jesus today. A revealing, a revelation, an unveiling of Jesus here and now, baby. I am for an apocalypse every day, every generation, every year. Bring it on. Now, uh, what's he say here? The world is passing away, also its lusts, and the one who does the will of God lives forever. What did Jesus say about this himself in the Gospel of John, about doing the works of God? He said, this is the, they asked him, how can we do the works, plural, of God? Jesus said, this is the singular work of God, that you believe in Him and the one He sent. <sighs> That's how you practice the gospel. By, because again, back to what we said earlier, everything we say and do consistently is, we're, we're out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Right? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We consistently say and do what we believe. All of us, right? That's why speaking, confessing God's Word in your private life is so important. I've spent the last two or three days taking Ephesians 6.10, um, just building myself up in the Lord. Paul said, be strong in the Lord, not in yourself. Good. You ever tried that? <laughs> Yikes. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. So I, last night, and just throughout the week, maybe when I've thought of it at different times, just kind of walked the floor a little. Or yesterday, I, I was putting lawn, hanging up my shirts. And, and then last night, uh, I went downstairs. And when I was praying, just spent a few moments saying, I am strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Now, that's one of the verses I stood on when I was believing for freedom from addiction to receive the freedom, you know, that was already mine, to experience it. I am, because, boy, whenever you've been a drug addict and a needle junkie and a crackhead and living that life, and you're just a baby believer, you don't feel strong every day. Whenever you're living in a halfway house and you go in the, the bathroom and lock the door and take the phone in there with you and call your dad and say, Dad, I need help because pray for me. I, I don't want to. I don't want to want to, but... I want to go out, find an Oxycontin, a spoon, a needle, a lighter, and get high. You know, because that's what my brain, I didn't get a lobotomy when I got, that's why you renew your mind, because you don't get a new brain, you know. Um, but I would, well, I didn't feel strong. I, I, nothing in me felt 
anything good in, in those kind of moments. But thank God he doesn't say, feel like you're strong in the Lord. Be strong. So I, that's, well, if, that's, if he's telling me to do that, it, it's got to be possible. So I just, okay, Paul, I am strong in the Lord. It's, it's like a spiritual steroid, man. I am strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I am strong in the Lord. And the Satan's making you feel weak. Satan's making you feel like you're not going to make it. Your past experiences make you're going to look like you're not going to make it. Sister Sally was the greatest saint who ever lived, and she didn't get her miracle. And why would it work for you? None of that matters. Paul didn't say to consult with any of that. It says, be strong in the Lord. Not in other people's experiences. Not even your own. In the Lord. In the power of His might. All right? So, uh, verse 18, John, 2,000 years ago. Children, it is the last hour. Scripture went from the last days to the last, there's a countdown in the New Testament, last days, last day, and John's saying, man, we're at the last hour now. And that's in their, their time, of course. He says, just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. And Jesus said this in Matthew's Gospel, 24. He said, many will come saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ, follow me. And we know from history that there were many, 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 many of these self-proclaiming false messiahs. And it cost, there's, you know, you could read Josephus, you could read a number of things. Uh, Jonathan Welton's book, Rapturalist, has a lot of the historical details and documentation from the names, you know, how many followers they had. And, I mean, they were getting killed left and right because this was when the Jewish-Roman war was breaking out. And anyways, so he says, from this we know it is the last hour. Uh, look at verse 22. But you have an anointing. Some translations say an unction. So notice that. You have an anointing. I remember the day, I found, the place, the day that... I found out that I was anointed because every child of God is anointed. What is the anointing? It's the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit, right? Because I was kind of thinking, well, if you pray enough and fast enough and confess enough and do enough, you'll get anointed. And I found out, oh my gosh, I am anointed. And I believe that would have been the same date as today. Uh, October 25th, I believe was that day, and that was 2005, maybe. And here we are, these many years later, on October 25th, and it's Kara's birthday. Two days. Yes, that's just a good date for me. 1025. Have an anointing. Notice that, you have. And I call this the believer's anointing. Every believer is anointed for a certain Jesus. Uh, in Matthew 16, you know, kind of commissions. And he says, you know, go out, share the good news to every person. And then he goes on and, and gives them kind of some breakdowns of what every believer is by the grace of God anointed to do. Preach, share the good news. Preach means proclaim or share. It doesn't have to mean this, even though it does include that. Share the good news. Lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Speak in tongues. That's available for every believer. 
and cast out demons. Every Christian is anointed for that. So you, you, Mr. Mr. Mrs. Joe Sally, everyday Christian, me, Mr. Joe Jordan, everyday normal, nah, that's, that's a stretch, Christian, any of us, the guy who, the person, the gal who was just born again two seconds ago has the same authority over Satan that anybody else that's ever been born again has. That's good stuff, man. We have an anointing. Now, look at verse 22. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah? 1 John 2.22. He says, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah? Then he says this. This is the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. Babe, is there any chance we can get that verse up here? Okay. 1 John 2.22. Notice that. He says, so somebody gave me a book years ago. Uh, and it was, it was uh, you know, the identity of the Antichrist. And it's usually the same. I mean, it changes when you know when you base your theology on the daily news headlines. It will change. It used, and you guys have lived through, you know, we've lived through all of these, because Ronald Reagan had six letters. Ronald in his middle name, I don't remember, but it had six letters, so six six six. Now the word Antichrist is not in the Book of Revelation, by the way. It's not the Book of the Antichrist. Verse one tells you the unveiling, apocalypse, revealing revelation of Jesus Christ. Um. Oh, you got it? Hey, thank you, Baba. He says, and we are, uh, I think Daniel was going to come, but had a little situation in Cannes or something. But, but in the near weeks, we're going to try to move that back if we can, if we can get it under the big vent thing there so it'll magnify, because we have to manually adjust every verse, every lyric to make it big enough and readable which makes you want to... But it says here, this is the... So we don't have to speculate. We don't have to guess. It's not some Muslim uh, or it's not some guy from Europe who's on the scene now and I believe he's alive today. He is alive today because who is the Antichrist? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. So there's not some Muslim who's going to take over the world and promise peace and then kill everybody. There's not some guy from Europe who's going to try to put a chip in your hand or your hand. None of that. You don't have to worry about that. All right? Now, and then it was Gorbachev. Why was it Gorbachev? Got the mark on his head, baby. And then it was barcodes. Because in every barcode, there's 666. That's what John says. There are many antichrists. There's no such thing as... It's also people talk about the tithe. There is no such thing as the tithe in the Bible. There were tithes. There were three different Jewish tithes. Now, I'm not saying don't give or, you know, whatever. I'm just saying you hear that, and it's like, well, no, there were three tithes and five offerings. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Any spirit that denies. Yes. Yeah. John, this epistle was written to combat a false doctrine called Gnosticism that was rampant in the early church. Colossians is also combating Jewish legalism and Gnosticism. Um, the Da Vinci Code 
is a Gnostic teaching. Gnostic means knowledge, and it's the idea that salvation is a, in this sort of secret knowledge that only a few of us have. And the Da Vinci Code was, well, the church has known forever that Jesus and Mary Magdalene uh, had a kid, and there's this royal bloodline down to this day. It's this secret knowledge, and the church is covering it up, and only we know it. And, you know, it was, that's Gnosticism. That's an example of Gnosticism. Um, but he's telling you here the Antichrist is any me message that denies the Father and the Son. Now, this does a lot. This clears up so much theological gobbledygook. I don't know what the Greek for gobbledygook is. Hogwash. All of it, baby. But this clears up so much. Um, there's a teaching called dual covenant. And there are some very well-known ministers, extremely well-known ministers, who preach dual covenant. And it has a lot of connotations. One connotation is you don't need to evangelize the Jewish people because they have their own covenant with God, dual covenant. And so they'll be okay anyways. Well, wait a minute. Whoever denies the Father and the Son, that is the Antichrist system. That's an antichrist spirit, demonic spirit behind that. So, God is not... American evangelicals think God, that all this stuff, that Israel has their own... No, they got to come through the cross the same way the rest of us do. It's the blood of Jesus or it's, it's eternal life through Jesus or it's not. And there's no way around it. There's no such thing as that. Boy, I've gotten so sidetracked today. I won't say side. Still trying to get somewhere. Let me say it that way. I, I've enjoyed this actually. But now, um, jump over now to chapter three. Verse five says, "You know that he appeared in order to take away sins." And every time I read that, I think, "Did he succeed or not?" And thank God he did. And then the next part of the verse says, "And in him, this is beautiful. In him there is no sin." Well, guess what? Where are you today? You are in Christ. You are not sin. You are not a sin creation. You are new creation. See, Jesus on the cross didn't just deal with innumerable zillion upon quadzillion upon infinillion individual sins per se. What he really did was he went to the root of sin itself and that for the, for humanity, and that was Adam and the Adamic sin, sin itself. Does that make sense? Instead of cutting off all the limbs, he went to the root and uprooted the whole thing. <sighs> so he took care of it all. Everyone look at it. It's, it's taken care of. He took away sin, the sin of the world. What was the sin of the world? Well, it was Adam letting unbelief come in. And that's why Holy Spirit, John 16, convicts of the one singular sin of unbelief. Adam and Eve's sin was unbelief in what God had told them. They believed the lie. Jesus brought the truth back. Hallelujah. He appeared to take away sin. In Him there is no sin. So if you're in Christ, you're not a sin creation. You're in Him where there is no sin. Mm, mm, mm. Hallelujah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, as He says in verse 6, no one, now think about this, 
No one who abides in him sins. Let me ask you, are you in Christ today? Have you been in him for more than a day or two? Have you sinned at any point during that time? So, yeah, you, so you look at what, so but notice what he goes on to say. Uh, no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure that no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. Now, legalism takes these kind of verses and says, see there, if you live right, then you're righteous. It's the exact opposite here. You flip that. You got the cart before the horse. But notice what he says. The one who practices righteousness. The, how do you become righteous? By faith or by works? By faith. The very first time in the Bible where faith and righteousness are mentioned is Genesis 15.6. Abraham faithed or believed God, and it was accredited righteousness to him. How do you practice righteousness? Con continually believing. Not by what you do. Of course, if you believe right, you will do right. Amen? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And as a man habitually, continually, fundamentally thinks in his heart, so is he. We, we are in a general sense, as much, as much as concerning the elements of our life and experience that we control, because there are external outside factors like other people, but our lives are a general consensus of what we most predominantly, consistently think and believe. In our, uh, believe and speak. Say it that way. Because that makes sense? Yeah. It's I, it, I, I, identity crisis. Yeah. You could be a believer and struggle with, you know, same-sex attraction. Well, you just don't know who you are. I'm a believer. And I've had hellish, severe, unbearable, chronic back pain resulting in uh, messing up my neurological system. Well, I don't look at that as, I don't, and when I say that, I don't feel any sense of condemnation at all. That's just, there's an area where I need to, I don't know how you'd say it the right way, but I need, let me say it this way. Maybe there's an, an area where I'm believing a lie. Because the Lord, if I ask Jesus right now, Lord, am I healed or am I is this, is this who I am? I suppose he would basically kind of, you know, yeah, I still got those stripes on my back. You're healed. And if God has an opinion on something, and I have a contrary opinion, who's wrong? I'm going to put it that way. I would, if, I'm fine with that. Yeah, it, somewhere in my, somewhere my believer is believing untruth. Or, or I'm not putting my faith to work. Well, I would say it this way. It's good point. I would, I would, I look, because we've all gone through that kind of processing that stuff through, because of our experiences. So we, I, you know, Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty two in the Greek, have the faith of God. So he's given us his faith that we can use to faith. Wigglesworth used to say the miracles and stuff. He said, I start out in my own faith until I get so far out over the ledge and I step off into the unknown and then his faith comes. All right? So there is that dynamic of, and remember this, if it's genuine faith, it's not works. 
legalistic works. But faith certainly will have corresponding actions. Now, we know fundamentally what's the number one work of faith. What you say. Because Romans 10 tells us, faith is, I'm basically quoting, faith is of the heart and the mouth. I mentioned last week, I think, you could get, it's easier to get a Christian Christians to come to an eight-hour prayer meeting than it is to get a Christian to spend 15 minutes by yourself. You know, I have to be by yourself. I'm just saying 15 minutes confessing God's Word over yourself. So it took me eight months from when I was born again, and I had to renew my mind to receive my freedom from addiction. It took me eight months of active faithing. Maybe not great English, but right? I, I could have I could have not put my faith to action and still be struggling with addiction to this day. Even though I would still be a saved, blood-bought, born-again, free, 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 who the sun sets free, is free indeed, child of God. Right? So I don't ever think of it in ter- like to me confessing the word um, st- or giving, and that's what scripture, like in Hebrews, differentiates between good works and dead works. So if I'm faithing w- from the from the understanding, from the vantage point of the finished work, it's not works, right? But if I'm trying to believe God, it's like I heard Brother Norville say the other day. He um, What's, what was it? It was about somebody trying to believe for healing, but it's, it's um, I know God's going to do it. He said, you're not even in faith because God's already done it, right? So if I'm trying to get God to, I'm going to grab the horns of the altar. Some of you need to get some Southern Baptist or Pentecostals to know about that. I'm going to grab the horns of the altar and not let go. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm going to grab the horns of that altar. I'm going to wrestle with God like Jacob until he gives me my blessing. And Jesus is up there asleep on the boat. Huh? I already did it. You know, like just trying, you know. So that's what makes it works. Or, you know what I'm saying? So we don't want to be hyper afraid of words like work, action. I think the fact, and some of us have been, because we've been so abused in that system. But once we come into a proper understanding, you you can have this approach to it and this biblical foundation, and you understand it's not... I hate to almost... Let me say it this way. You can work and it not be works. Okay, is that... Yeah. Yes. Labor to enter the rest. Well, how? Believing. Yeah. If they, yeah. And that's why it's so, and before you go, Ray, that's why it's so important to never base what you're going to, you're believing on your experience. I said, I mentioned this pretty often, or someone else's experience. A little while ago, I mentioned Sister Sally believed God. She was the holiest, prayingest, godliest at church every Sunday. Every time the doors opened, she was the one who opened the door. She had her. Uh, 27 pound King James right there on her seat on the front row. Bless God. And if God was going to heal anybody, he's going to heal Sister Sally. 
Well, God already healed Sister Sally 2,000 years ago. And what did Jesus continually tell people? According to your faith. Well, my faith, I'll tell you right now, is not that great. So what do I do with that? Well, he just so happened to give us his faith to believe him with. And so you put it to work. But I wouldn't say that's works. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Exercising the Word of God, which is able to sozo, save, heal, prosper, deliver, protect your soul. That's that Orville used to say, when the Word of God richly abides in your heart by reading it and confessing it, it becomes a part. He, said, he would say it this way. It's like your right arm. It's a part of you. You don't even think about it. And that's... Andrew calls that, and, and that's the good, Norval used to say this, and it's emphatic all the time. He would say faith as we get hung up. Well, Hebrews 11 says faith is now. Faith is not, well, if I, do, if I do this for two months, will it work? Or if I say it a thousand times, will it match? That's not the point, because faith and confession is not about moving God. It's moving yourself into believing. You're renewing your mind to agree with what your born-again spirit already has laid hold of and believes. Because your spirit always believes truth. Scripture doesn't say renew your spirit. It says renew your mind. Ephesians 4 says be renewed uh, in the spirit of your mind. Make your mind partner with your spirit. Because it, it believes God perfectly. And so, real quick, Max. The woman with the issue of blood. King James it's so sad some of these translations miss these things or leave them out. King James, for she said, if I may but touch, you know, I'll be made whole. The Greek and some English translations, very few, for she continually said. That means more than once. That means consistently. That means confessing, as we call it, if I may. And then at the end of that, what did Jesus tell her? Daughter, your faith made you whole. So God gives us His faith because imperfect faith, I don't think is going to get the job done, if you understand what I'm saying. He's given us His perfect faith, which can always get the God. If you believe what God believes, you're going to get the results that God gets. So, well, that would be great if I had faith. You do have faith. Now, to what Jane was saying, here's, the, here's what's happening that week, that month. That day, it may be 30 seconds and you get it. It may be 30 years and you get it. It's don't get hung up on the how long. That will just that will hinder and cripple your faith almost as quick as anything. So don't, so don't worry. Faith is now. Faith is not in the future somewhere, right? You might want to get on it. <laughs> you might want to put some. No, I I absolutely. If I got that, boy, I. I wouldn't be here this morning. I'd be in a closet confessing the word somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Night and day. But here's what happens. You don't, you got to get out of the time and you got to get out of how it feels. Faith and feelings don't have much of anything at all. Every, every now and then your feelings will line up with you and praise God for those rare moments. But your feelings could be screaming, it's not working, it won't work, you're dead, it's not going to happen. No break. That doesn't mean anything. Because your feelings are so fickle, you can be on top of the world and under the bottom of hell in 10 seconds. You wake up and you feel great, and then you look in the mirror and the day's gone. Ho hopefully not. But, but like what, to what Jane was saying, here's the truth. Jesus said the sower sows the word. And then he goes on and explains 
the soil is your own heart. So you, you take that tree and that, that little tree you planted and it's only boop, popping up and boop. Well, under, under the earth where you can't see, there is a vast, powerful, massive root system. So here's the point. Every moment, every syllable that you are speaking, you're partnering with God, you're partnering with heaven. It's not just God's word out there. So now it's my word. Jesus said, if my word abides in you, you'll bear fruit, right? So every time I say, I am healed by the stripes of Jesus, whether I see anything, whether I, every single time I partner with heaven and say what God says about my situation, it's going to work in there. And that's the point. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we... We don't, uh, let me say this, it's not so much that we grow in faith, as in your faith, get, it's more you are growing in the perfect faith you've already got. Does that, can you see that difference? It's not, well, I'm, I'm reading and I'm getting more faith. You can't really get more faith when God's already given you His faith. How are you going to improve on that? But I can grow in it. I'm already as perfectly holy the day I step into heaven, I will not be more holy than I am right now. But thankfully, in the here and now, I can grow in experiential holiness if I believe it, right? I'm already as healed as I'm ever going to be. But thank God I can grow in that truth and experience it on that level. Does, does all that kind of make sense? Okay, somebody, I saw a hand somewhere. Go ahead, Max, and then I, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I need a pen. Can somebody get me a pen? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Philippians 2. He's the one who gives you the will and, you know, so. Will, to, to will, to desire, and to do it. He do, he, he's the one who does that. Um, any other thoughts on this? I, I just, I have to make myself notes up here sometimes. No, I, don't be sorry. I think this is great. Or, hopefully. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which we got. Currently, we've got, I think, two copies out there. Getting that book out there. Uh, if, you, if you don't have $10, just take it. I don't care. Whatever. But uh, go ahead. Don't be sorry. Any, anybody who wants to add to this, you're good. I'm, I'm, I'm loving this. Because this is how I'm up here teaching it, but this gets into those areas where you really want to think it through and understand it, and it's pivotal. Because you don't want to be stuck in the faith trap. Oh, if I just have more faith. Or... If I just keep doing this, then God will move. No, no, no. You've got perfect faith. This isn't moving God. It's moving you to believe. You know, I'll do you one better. Paul says that. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That is huge. Or, or, and then Ray, sorry. Orla Ray. Find it out and see who. Everyone who came to him in faith was healed. Yeah. Because in Mark chapter 6. No, that's important. I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to say you're wrong. I'm. That's important because in Mark chapter 6, we have one account where it says Jesus was there teaching, and it says Jesus could not heal them. It does not say Jesus wouldn't heal them. It says Jesus, God Almighty in the flesh, could not. And then it says why? It says because of their unbelief. Absolutely. Good results. Good news. Brother, by all means. You know, if some, if Bill, better, but, that, and that's not, to, it's not like, Either or. It's both in. So a better approach would be I have, I have grown in 
my faith, and if Bill better option is receive myself. Now, thank God I can go, maybe you lay hands on me with the anointing of oil. Maybe you do the most basic biblical approach, just lay hands on in Jesus' name. Maybe you, Jesus, and in the book of Acts, maybe you speak the word only and it comes. God's, God has given us all these avenues. He just wants us to receive. And the best is, because if I go to Orla and his healing anointing gets me healed, well, in five years, what if Satan comes and tries to say, well, you didn't, that was his faith that got you that. But here it is again. Take this back pain again. What if Satan comes and, but once I've learned to stand on my own faith, and James 4, 7, resist the devil. Well, you got to do your own resisting most of the time. Thank God when I'm down and out, and I, my back went nuts, and I got a panic attack, and Kara's there resisting for me. Thank God for that. But there are those times where you got to do your own believing. Any other thoughts on this? I'm in no hurry. Go if you got to go, but I'm, I'm enjoying this. Go ahead, Rhonda. Ray, you still had something, didn't you? Okay, after Ray. Sorry, I forgot. Sorry. Go ahead, Lee, brother. Not heard faith for Helen. Please, for the I know, Bill. Love of God, listen to Norval for once in your life. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Please. Please. <laughs> listen to your pastor once and do this thing. You know. Now here, you know, I'll say I want to. I want to throw out a few. Last week I mentioned. This is this teaching is one of those draw the line in the sand. And they're I mean, absolutely just gloves off, line in the sand, devil me or you want. I know Jesus is already defeating. I'm just talking in the battle, battlefield of believing. Because that Satan's Satan's defeated and powerless. So what's he do? He, Jesus took away the sin, Adam's sin, that gave Satan his inroad, so he's, he doesn't have the power over us. But he can still, he's a defeated being who tries to introduce lies still. Does that make sense? It's not overcoming Satan like he's still powerful. It's overcoming the lies that him and or the world. So I want to mention a few line in the sand. These, these things are a little bit hard, but I'm just going to throw them out there. There, what you can with this. All right. There is no such thing. As I believed God, but it didn't work. That does not, there is no such, you, any of us may have believed to the best as our current capacity was. But maybe it just wasn't enough to fully lay, grab hold of it. And that's not a shame. Or, so, me confessing the word. You know, in that experience, it took me eight months to renew my mind. So my mind, not about the eight months or the time. Faith doesn't wear a watch. I could have, I could have confessed less and it take two years. The time's not the thing. Faith doesn't wear a watch. There's a few other things. Now, this may be hard too, but we're about to say. This is also what Bill Johnson believes. This is also what Kenneth Hagin believed. This is what Andrew believes. This is what Joseph believes. This is what Balaton believes. This is what many of your favorite preachers, I'm sure, believe. And the ones I mentioned by name, I know for a fact they believe this. Healing is always God's will. There is no such thing as he healed you, he healed you. But it just, 
it wasn't his will for you. We don't under, there's not one, if Satan can ever convince us that it's not God's will for everybody, take it to the bank, he'll convince you you're the one that it's not God's will for. Always, all right? So, if, if there's no such thing as I truly believed God and it didn't work, well, what's the other side of that coin? Any of us. If I believe God, and for me it's my, my back, which affects my body and my, my neurological system, all that. I, like Abraham, I'll just say this, I am fully persuaded if I continue believing, and believing's an act, how do I believe? Faith is of the heart and of the mouth, all right? Confessing God's word, that's the primary, pri- primary. You can add worship and prayer. My healing, my deliverance and freedom will manifest, period. And the same goes for you. There's no such thing as, because then you, well, I tried that confessing, name it, claim it stuff. Don't try, try it. God didn't say try it. He's actually believe. Trying and and actually believing are two separate things. If you, all that, so that stuff, okay, I'll try that. I don't even. I was going to say that. You may start out there in that, especially if that's new to you, or maybe you used to do that, but you've things have happened and you're kind of tired. And whatever, you got to regroup, you know, we've all been there. There may be that dynamic of, you know, got to start somewhere. <laughs> so I'm going to try. But it's not trying as I'm going to try it and see if it works. There's no such thing. As, that's what I'm saying. It's not I'm going to try it and see if it'll work. Well, that's not believing. From the fan, that that right there is not believing. I'm gonna try it and see if that'll work. Well, you're not believing. You're 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 already saying it might work, it might not work. I'm not saying it like I want to, but does that make sense? Exactly. Yeah. And God doesn't say try it. He says believe. Double-minded. Absolutely. And you don't try the exactly. You don't try the gospel. You believe it. Yeah. The cross can't be undone. Jesus can't unshed the blood that's already taken away all sin for all people for all time. Jesus can't undo the stripes that he bore in Isaiah 53. Surely he hath borne. And in the Hebrew says, our sicknesses and diseases and carried our pains and sorrows. And in the Hebrew, pains and sorrows is physical, mental, or emotional. Every bit of it Jesus took so we could have wholeness. 3 John verse 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that you be in health and prosper, or prosper and be in health. Well, that's the Spirit of God saying that through John. So, healing from a scriptural, because then you get it, well, why doesn't it always happen? Well, why? salvation's God's will. Why doesn't that always happen for everybody? According to your faith, be it unto you. God won't make people receive stuff. He's a loving Father, you know. And, and then there are stuff like, well, I know that stuff's true. I know confessing, confessing is true, God's Word. I've seen other people do it. That, and then, but, but wh- so why didn't it work? Listen to me. Don't miss, don't miss this. Well, I know it's true, so why didn't it work? If that's your, this is not condemnation. 
If I if it sounds condemning, it's not. I promise you, hopefully you know me well enough to know I don't play those games. If our response is, well, I know that stuff's true, but why didn't it work in this case? You're, you don't realize it, but you're saying that you don't really believe it. You're, you're, you're admitting right there, whether you know it or not, that, well, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. So why didn't it work? There is no such thing as it does. There's no such thing as God not coming through. There's no such thing as the Word of God not being truth and more powerful than anything in this world or all the forces of darkness. There is no such thing as that. Fully persuaded. Abraham spent 25 years. He changed his name from Abram, you know, prince, to father of a multitude. 25 years. No evidence. Hey, how you doing? I'm Abraham. Or Hey, how you doing? I'm the father of a multitude. My God, father of a Where are they? <sighs> I got I to run. <laughs> I got a wife's calling me, you know, like 25 years. Abraham was fully persuaded. So there is no such thing. Listen to me, please. Please, please get this. Well, I know it works, and I know it, I know it worked for you that once, Jordan. I know it worked for Cousin Sally and Uncle Bob and... Johnny tried, and it, so why didn't it work, Johnny? Either Jesus is telling the truth. Somebody's not telling the truth here, and it's Jesus or something else. And Jesus said, have the faith of God, believe in your heart, and say with your mouth. And he said, believe once, and he said, say three times. Interesting. For, have the faith of God, for verily I say unto you, that whosoever believes in his heart, but says to this mountain, mounted, mountain be lifted up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, because you can doubt in your head, but still believe in your heart, that whatsoever he says, he says three times, we, maybe we should figure, maybe we should do something with that. Pick, pick up, take the hint, yeah. Be removed, shall not doubt in his heart, believe what he says come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Not whatever God sovereignly, he loves me, he loves me not, maybe, maybe not. No, you'll have what you say and believe in your heart, according, you know what I'm saying? So, I say that to encourage all of us, because it encourages me that when I've tried everything and so far nothing's worked, I know, I know, I know that my body does not have a choice. It's not optional. It's not, I hope so. It's not, I really think so. It's not, I'm pretty sure. It's, I'm 99.9% .9 certain. It's, I absolutely know, beyond any shadow of a doubt, God is not a man that he can lie. Surely, he took my back pain and my neurological problems because of the back pain, and by his stripes, I am healed, period, the end. There, there's no two ways about it. And as long as I continue releasing that faith, my body doesn't have a choice except to line up with truth. And the same works for you, and it works for everybody else you'll ever meet. And for the love of God, listen to Norval Hayes this week. The Glory Center would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that it is encouraged and ministered to you. We also would like to invite you to check out our website at glorycenter.org.